Hey, stackers, before we kick off a very special episode of the Stacking Benjamin Show, just want to give a great big shout out to all those people who have joined us for these first thousand episodes that protect our country, members of our military, OG, keeping us safe while they're stacking some Benjamins. Semperfy. And do you say Semperfy to everybody in all the branches and to our civilian DODs? I say what I want. <laughs> and I'll salute everybody else. There you go. That works. On behalf of Navy Federal Credit Union and the Stacky Benjamins Show, thank you for all that you do. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Paul Ollinger from the Crazy Money Podcast here today to say congratulations to Stacking Benjamins on 1,000 episodes, some of which were actually worth listening to. You guys, I'm so excited. I took the time to write uh, a few Japanese haiku. Well, they're haiku, and haiku is from Japan, which, as you know, is the home of uh, sushi, sumo wrestling, and stagflation. Here we go. First, first haiku. Stacking Benjamins is my second fave podcast. Your mom is the best. Five syllables, seven syllables, five syllables. Here we go again. It's haiku number two. Dear Joe Saul Sihai, your mom has the best basement. I really mean that. Here's haiku number three to celebrate Stacking Benjamin's 1,000 episodes, some of which are actually worth listening to. Dear Joe and OG, when it comes to old guy flair, you guys sure are old. Thank you, Stacking Benjamins. Congratulations on 1,000 episodes. I'm honored to be a part of the extended family. Looking forward to 1,000 more, some of which, which will, some of which, uh, dang it, I almost had the whole thing without having to edit it. Now I'm going to have to, no, I'm not, I'm not going to edit it. I'm going to turn it right in. Some of which we'll actually be listening to. I hope I can be on some of those. You guys are the best. Thanks for doing what you do. See ya. Move over, Ollinger. Listen to how the pros do it. <clears throat> Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and it happened, people! It happened! Today is the Stacking Benjamin's 1,000th episode. Today, we're going to pay tribute to some people who have helped us get here. But don't worry, I won't leave you hanging, and I'll make sure to throw in the thing that got us here to begin with, my amazing trivia. And now, two guys who somehow managed to record a thousand of these things, it's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J-G. And I can't believe we made it. We're in the four figures. Hey, everybody. Welcome to podcasting episodes with a comma in them for the win. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter and celebrating not just the fact that we made it a thousand episodes, but also celebrating the fact that we're halfway through this work week, which may be even more important. It's Mr. OG. It's like the part when you update your net worth statement and there's the first comma. That's how today feels. <laughs> it does. It does. And like our friend Scott Trench says, it's that first, first thousand that's the hardest thousand. My favorite is when people ask about podcasting, and I'm sure you get the same question, and I'm sure you answered the same exact way. Hey, so um, 
you guys have a few listeners. How could I do it? And you go, well, you start 10 years ago. <laughs> go three times a week. Try not to miss any. On that note, by the way, we, we do have some friends that were nice enough to call in and leave us a message. And by the way, big thanks to Mr. Paul Ellinger from Crazy Money for that. Haikus to kick off the show. How highbrow are we, dude? It's a little overkill. I was just hoping for some cake. <laughs> Me too. But instead, well, let's see. I, I haven't listened to any of these. Our friend Rich Jones from Paychecks and Balances. Let's see what uh, Rich has for us. Yo, congrats on making it to 1,000 episodes, even though y'all kind of cheated by releasing three episodes per week, but that's neither here nor there. I'm going to let that go. And even though y'all been doing this out of a basement and you got a nosy neighbor who's coming in, you got mom upstairs and people are learning absolutely freaking nothing, yet y'all still got to 1,000 freaking episodes. Incredible. It really is. But seriously, congratulations on the accomplishment. I know how hard y'all work, and I also know how many people you've helped, self-included, and I'm excited to see y'all keep doing great things. So here's to the next 1,000 and getting there even faster by going the five days a week. I really hope you don't do that, though. <laughs> I, hope, I hope we don't do that either. We thought about that, remember? Well, we had some advice, by the way. Let's pull the curtain back a little bit. We had our friend uh, John from Westwood One who even said, you guys ever think about going five days a week? And I told him he was number one with one of my fingers. Yeah. And he punched him in the face. <laughs> I would not do that to Mr. Wardock, but we did have some. Of course not. I said, I say this lovingly, Mr. Wardock, but, uh, but, but no. And I used a different term for no. And then he and I laughed about it a little bit, but... It has been a fun run of a thousand episodes, OG. It's been a twisty, turny route. We're going to take today and we're going to answer some of your questions. Some of you have had some great feedback about uh, different things you heard on the show. We're going to play some of those today. Our main goal today is to spend a lot of time with you. We also are going to talk through some of our top money lessons we've learned just specifically from doing the show. I know I have a few like to pick OG's brain on some that he's gotten from uh, doing the show. And then at the end, maybe we'll talk a little bit about what we've learned about podcasting from these, these thousand episodes. Uh, but first we got a couple guests in our headlines since our main guest is you, our stacker family. So let's get this party started. This episode sponsored by state farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Hello, darlings. And now, it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamin's Headlines. And in our first headline, if you're planning on buying something for your significant other for Valentine's Day coming up this weekend, or you're planning a trip to a restaurant, you're not alone. Valentine's Day is considered a spendy holiday with men spending over 120 bucks this year, saying that they're planning on spending over 120 bucks and women spending over 75. This year's different, of course, because of COVID. So one company working with retailers to help them serve customers and stay afloat during these weird times is NCR. Here to talk about your Valentine's Day and your experience. Let's say hello to Dirk Izzo, president and GM of NCR Hospitality. Dirk, how are you, man? Fantastic, Joe. Thanks for having me on the show today. Well, I'm, I'm glad you could be with us on our big episode, but this is a big weekend for a lot of people. You doing anything special this Valentine's Day for your family? I absolutely am. I'm, I'm going to head out and have a, a nice dinner with my wife at one of my favorite restaurants, who's been set up with a lot of the uh, the contactless and touchless experiences that uh, <laughs> that I kind of demand as a consumer. But yeah, we're, we're going out to have some fun and, uh, and have a nice meal. That is a smooth transition, Mr. Izzo. You're good at your job. <laughs> well, let, let me go back to the start of the pandemic, because listening to the Tim Ferriss podcast, he, he talked to uh, the restaurant owners of Alinea in Chicago, and they, they had a long discussion about how Alinea really had to pivot during COVID and watching COVID come at them. They were in the same panic as a restaurant. Everybody else was. I can't imagine, Dirk. What your clients, these restaurant owners were going through when they, they must have thought going back a year that their business was finished. Walk me through like from where you sat the beginning of COVID and the restaurant situation. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, the industry was struck really hard by this pandemic across the board. Um, we really service two different groups. We service the quick service restaurants like the Chick-fil-A's and the Wendy's. And then we service the fine dining or table service restaurants like a Texas Roadhouse or Buffalo Wild Wings. Both were impacted. Um, we did a lot to really focus on the customer. So my, my main mantra to the team was take care of our customers, take care of our customers, take care of our customers. And if we do that, they'll be a customer for life because they're in pain and we're here to help them. And so on the quick service side, we did a lot with drive-throughs. We helped them really focus on how do they get speed and drive-throughs. And I know everybody on this podcast has, has listened to this and seen this where they actually pull up to a drive-through and it's 20 minutes. It looks like a 20 minute line. They get in line and it takes five minutes because moves, they're yeah. cute. It's just absolutely amazing. Um, so we've done a lot of work with the Chick-fil-A's and the Wendy's to speed that up. We've seen, Dirk, not to stop you, but I think Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A here locally is now drive-through only. Like, I think yeah. there have been a couple Chick-fil-A's that I've seen that are, and maybe the whole chain is drive-through only, but you're right. That thing just speeds. Yeah, it's amazing. And, and they were actually, they're actually able to do the same amount of business that they were doing when the drive-through and the dining area was open. So it's really interesting. The quick service restaurants have fared quite well during the pandemic, giving all the situations. Do you think, um, before we go to the table service stuff, do you think we're going to see changes permanently because of this, like some of the technology that you guys have brought to quick service and to fast food? Are we going to see things, we're going to see maybe Chick-fil-A not go back to the same things they were doing before? I think absolutely. I think we've seen five years of innovation happen in five months. And I think that the drive-thrus will be a main, a main area of focus for them. I think a lot of people are focusing on how do they redesign their restaurant to support curbside and pickup because that's becoming a big, a big thing for a lot of them. And they're doing a lot of volume that way. Yeah. All right. Now I'm not taking Cheryl to Chick-fil-A though. Uh, spoiler <laughs> alert. I'm taking her to a sit down restaurant. So let's talk about innovation there. 
Yeah, sure. When when COVID hit, obviously they were all devastated by that because people didn't they weren't comfortable to go out. And some states and some areas actually shut down their table service restaurants. And what I would tell you is uh, we focus very quickly on how do we help create a contactless experience. So the first thing we did was e-commerce, and we stood up 2,100 plus sites on e-commerce for no cost at all, right? Just to help them get an e-commerce presence because they hadn't had them before. A lot of table service restaurants, quite frankly, were like that because they didn't need to. They they brought customers sure. in, they wanted the customer experience. And then as they opened back up, so they had that e-commerce capability, but as they opened back up, consumers like you and I were actually demanding a touchless experience. And so we did a couple things. One was we created a contactless payment experience because at table service, there's no place to tap your phone with an Apple Pay or a Google Pay, right? So we created a, on the receipt, it shows you a QR code, you scan that, and it brings you to an area where you can actually pay your tip your waiter or waitress and pay your bill and get a digital receipt and just walk right out. So that's been fantastic. I mean, over 2,000 restaurants have adopted that and we are getting a great response rate from that. And then the second thing we did was, I'm sure you've experienced this, where you walk into a table service restaurant today and they have a little QR code and they say, scan this and get your menu. Yeah. And that's a static menu. We took that one step further for our customers. We actually, when you scan it, you get an interactive menu and you can order your drinks and it goes directly to the bar. And they bring them out. You can order your food. It goes directly to the kitchen and they bring it out. And uh, we've done that at places like Mad Max and Frescoes in Buffalo and Blue Jam in California. We've done that with a lot of customers. They're actually seeing a reduction in labor because it's easier for them to work the kitchen in the past by doing that. And the consumer experience, our experience is phenomenal. Well, that's what I was going to that's what I was going to ask you about, Dirk, because. You know, when I go to sit down at a restaurant, my experience partly is with the waiter, right? There's a little human experience that I want that I don't have anymore if I'm eating in the restaurant. I mean, I've eaten in a restaurant a few times since COVID started, and I love everything that you're talking about, about the fact that I now have my menu on my phone. I can pay on my phone. I've seen all that. I've, it, it is amazing what you guys have done. But if we keep that around, doesn't that get rid of some of this touch, high touch thing that we pay extra for? I think it changes some of it, to be honest. Um, so I think you'll you'll see different restaurants uh, manage it and take advantage of it in different ways. I think that the fast casual restaurants, consumers will love it. Yeah. So if you're sitting there with your kids and you're ready to go, you just want to pay your bill. You can pay your bill and go. Um, you're not looking to flag down somebody to get your to get your check. I think fine dining will go to, as you said, more of a. They still want to have that consumer experience that that experience as a diner where you actually are talking to somebody and you're, you're learning about some of the foods and things that they're preparing for that night. So I think it'll be a mix. I know you guys are not sitting still. You've got other things that you're developing. You know, Dirk, as well as anybody, nobody listens to this podcast. Is there anything that you, you could share with us to both of our listeners that you guys are working on that maybe we haven't seen? What's the future look like? Yeah, I would tell you, I would say for the restaurant tours, I think the biggest challenge we're seeing out there is more and more technologies being infused out to the edge. So whether you're a table service or quick service, there's more technology. And if you put your, yourself in the seat of the general manager of a restaurant or the manager of a quick service restaurant, they don't know who to call, right? So we're actually, we're doing a lot of innovation around uh, IoT. So internet of things at the edge. We're offering customers to be able to help them run the restaurant from a wall to wall perspective for technology so that if somebody like if you take today, you could have Best Buy come in and install a wireless router and a firewall. We install the point of sale. Somebody else installs the Sonos speakers. 
when something happens, who do they call? Right. It's very confusing. Right. So we're, we're setting up an environment where they can call us and we'll take care of all of it. We'll install it and, uh, and take care of all of it. And it goes back to what I said before. I want our brand to be known as the brand that takes care of our restaurants and our restaurateurs, and they can go one place and get all the help they need. I've got one other question. I always save the hard-hitting one for last is that I'm a Michigan State Spartan. There's only one other Izzo that I know, and it's Tom Izzo, the coach of our fantastic team. Are you related to that guy? I, I am not. No. But, uh, I lived in Chicago for many years, and I would go downtown to the city and check into hotels. They're like, oh, do you know Tom? And right. I'm like, if it gets me a better room, yeah, he's my brother. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was going to ask if your forehead, you know, you get that vein in your forehead like he gets, and you're yelling all the time or or uh, no. all that stuff. Well, I was going to tell you, and that's disappointing because I wanted you to share with Tom that we got to get this team going because the season's <laughs> slipping away from Michigan State and that's horrible. But you can help us one other way. If somebody is in the restaurant industry, Dirk, where do they go to get more information? Yeah, they can go directly to ncr.com. And there's a whole section on hospitality out there that they can click into. We're helping customers with loan forgiveness. We're helping customers set up e-commerce sites. We're doing a lot of great things to try to help the industry. And if there are any of our current customers that have issues, feel free to reach out to me again. We're very interested in obviously taking care of our current customers and helping those in need. Sir, thanks for helping us this holiday week. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for everything. And in our second headline, well, a couple of weeks ago, while many were watching AMC and GameStop, there was another market going crazy. And strange for me to say this as a guy who's been tracking markets for a number of years, the silver market was going nuts. Here to help us understand what we need to know is the author of the Morgan Report and an advisor to some of the world's best and brightest investors in precious metals. On my dad's shortwave is David Morgan. David, thanks for joining us, man. Joe, it's great to be with you, and thanks for having me. It's a first, and I appreciate it. <laughs> well, hopefully not the last either, because I know your reputation, and uh, you always have such insightful things to say. But to set this up for our audience that doesn't get to talk about silver a lot, let's talk about silver normally, David, if you don't mind. Where does it normally go in a portfolio for the average person? How does it normally act in a portfolio? Great question. I think it's easy to answer. I wrote the 10 rules of silver investing. There's a book, I don't think it's published anymore, but it's called Investing Rules. And in the Investing Rules book, uh, the author seeks out experts in every field. So limited partnerships, real estate, stocks, options, all kinds of stuff, gold, silver, whatever. So he asked me to write the 10 rules of silver investing. So if you type in 10 rules of silver investing, David Morgan, into any search engine, it'll pop up. And that's going to be probably the best two-minute read if you are in the market already or particularly if you're going to get into this market. Awesome. I'll link to that in our show notes page. But to set up the weirdness from a couple of weeks ago, how would you describe silver on a typical day, a typical week, typical month? Well, silver can be, I've coined the expression, I believe I coined it, saying silver will scare you out or wear you out. <laughs> it has these tendencies to do these huge spikes up and these huge spikes down and then it can just go sideways and do nothing for a long period of time so it'll scare you out by let's say you expect it to go up and it goes down and scare you out or vice versa if you're short and on the other side it's like god everything's happening in the world the fundamentals are getting better better for silver look they've got another use for it look at there's got another use for silver look at all the solar panels and it just goes flat so I think that's apropos. And adding on to that a bit, Joe, silver and gold are very important for portfolio balance, but they're not the only thing. 
So in the 10 rules of silver investing, rule number 10 says something along the lines I wrote. It's been 20 years ago. (laughs) Too much of a good thing is too much of a good thing, meaning that 10% is right for most people. And I did increase that to 20% before the Gulf War. So that's how long ago I wrote this. But, uh, you know, 10% is probably best, you know, good for most people. So you want the hedge, but you don't need to go all in. Well, so let's talk then about a couple of weeks ago. Based on what you just said, I would guess then that it didn't surprise you to see it spike, uh, silver spike in silver markets. My understanding is people couldn't get delivery on silver. Is that true? Yeah, well, there's going back to the GameStop situation after that was successful. The rumor is that they move, they, the Reddit crowd, the Wall Street Bets crowd, and maybe others followed along into the silver market. Silver is the most heavily shorted commodity on the board. Nothing has as many days short or months, really, that silver has. Most are a few days, oil, cotton, cocoa, you name it. There's always shorts because there's a short for every long in the futures markets, not necessarily in the equity markets. So the futures game is a the pro's pro. It's like going into a basketball game against the NBA versus a high school game in, let's say, the stock market. So that's the analogy. So what's happened is a lot of people jumped on it. And yeah, it froze the market basically in retail. But the silver market is at the commercial bar market. And some people don't understand that. They think that, you know, the silver price is what they would pay for a silver eagle. Not true. So the retail market, silver eagles, silver maples, 10-ounce bars, one-ounce wafers, 100-ounce bars, all that stuff basically dried up. Can you get it? Yes. But the premiums are astronomical. I mean, they're like 6 7 $8 in most places. On the other hand, the commercial bar market's gotten tight as well because a lot of these people from the Reddit crowd went into the SLV, which is reportedly a physical trust where they have to buy the amount of silver that uh, matches the amount of shares bought. And the amount of shares bought was absolutely off the chart. So everything that we know about supply and demand would suggest that the price of silver should be far higher than it is right now as we're doing the interview. And I know this is going to be posted probably a week from now, so the prices of silver can move up and down. (laughs) But the point is, it's already made a big move up, but it's come right back down. So it looks as if, to me, Uh, This market really hasn't settled on the correct price. If we look at, though, over the last year, I noticed, and you know much better than I do, that uh, the price of silver has notched up and up and up fairly consistently. I would guess, as just a layman that doesn't know a lot about this, that that must be all of the stimulus coming through and the promise of more stimulus coming through. Would that be true? Excellent insight, Joe. And I like to keep, keep things simple. Yes. Silver does every function that gold does, although a lot of people, there are some gold-only people, and that's fine. But silver has been money more places more often and more transactions as money than gold ever has. And on top of that, it's got a huge industrial component that makes up about 50% of the total market. So it's both money and an industrial commodity. So silver and gold are correlated about 85%. So, well, when the you know depression hits, what is silver do? Well, basically, it does the same thing as gold. Well, if there's hyperinflation, what does silver do? Well, basically, does the same thing as gold. Although, I have to add on that uh, based on the book, Silver, the Restless Metal by Professor Jastrom, in that book, and it's an old book now, but what he did in that book was prove that silver is the most heavily correlated asset to hyperinflation. So if there is a hyperinflationary depression, we are in a depression in my view, but most people don't, a lot of people probably know that, but uh, 
they're never the same. It's not like the 30s depression. Is it a hyperinflationary depression? No, but it's tending more toward a stagflationary depression than it is a debt liquidating depression where these pieces of paper become more and more valuable. So we'll have to see. We talk about the price of, of silver now being high. If I'm somebody listening to this, I hate timing markets. I know you hate timing markets, but do I wait a little bit and see what happens over the short run? Or do I go ahead and if I think I need more metal in my portfolio, I buy now? Depends on the person, really. I mean, if you do what I teach and you do 10%, you get in at under 30, I think long-term you're fine. On the other hand, people you know, will buy, even if it's only 10% of their portfolio and watch it like a hawk and get excited every daily move, which is a bad personality for an investor. Right, right. So you can average in. That's what I said in the 10 rules. I mean, the averaging into a bull market is really a great way to get a good average price and take the emotion out of the investment. So there's a couple of ways. You really, the, the market's very good at exploiting your weaknesses. I mean, if you're very anxious, you'll buy the stock and it'll hold it for you know three months and say, oh man, there's nothing going on in silver. I hate this guy. Sell out the next day, it's up limit three days in a row. Of course. So that teaches you, you don't have patience. So this is what the market does to people. A lot of people don't understand that and think, oh, He's blowing smoke, but believe me, it's true most of the time. It's funny. You see it over and over and over, don't you, David? You do indeed. And then there's a round trip. People buy a stock at five, watch it go to 55 and hold it all the way down to five. Never do that. Oh, Lord. I know you write the Morgan Report and uh, that's a free newsletter. Where can people find out more? Just go to the main site, themorganreport.com. Give us a first name and an email address. We'll be happy to put you on the free newsletter. And we'll link to that, uh, Stackers, and we'll also link to David's rules on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. David Morgan, thanks a ton for giving us some insights into this crazy, crazy market. I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure, Joe. Thank you. Big thanks to both Dirk and David for joining us today. Let's talk about restaurants first, OG. Even with all the bad things happening in the world around COVID the last year, the big powerful line that Dirk had five years of innovation and one year for restaurants. Yeah. I think my favorite part of this is being able to leave when you want to leave. Like for kind you. Of the, the, the new way. You would, you would get up halfway through these podcasts if we had a QR code where you could just phone the rest of it in, wouldn't you? I could scan out. Boop. I'm good. I've scanned out. No, it's not that. It's just, you know, sometimes it's time to, especially maybe not like when you're having dinner or, you know, yeah, nice fancy place, but but when you got stuff going on and you're like, I just want to, I just want to go, like, and and it's busy, and I mean that's not going on right now. It's nothing's busy, but right. you know it was. So and there uh, are those times when the waiter gets busy right as you're trying to leave. And you're like, oh come on, I had a nice meal, and then I mean I can I can count uh, many many times that that happened. I also agree with them. There's a difference between the high end restaurant experience too, and that that fast casual. That's right. Fast casual. It's supposed to be fast. But that's not the only place we've seen innovation, though. I mean, I think people have learned very quickly how to work from home. If we're parents, we've learned how to juggle our workflow with parenting. And and admittedly, I'm sure that it's still a struggle, but I think a lot of us have learned some systems there. And I think by and large, we've all learned to some degree, hopefully in this last year, that systems are definitely the answer that you have to create a system. And when things change, you just have to change that system. Yeah. I mean, obviously we talk a lot about systems with money, but um, 
your money systems have changed probably over the last over the last year as well. Sure. But, but uh, when it comes to everything, if you can make it something that's repeatable, it, it's it's a lot less stressful. Let's go on to David Morgan and uh, the silver market. What what percentage of your portfolio do you keep in commodities? Any? I keep about five percent. Uh, I'm closer to the zero uh, percent number. Yeah, five percent. Yeah, I think the more aggressive you are, the closer you're going to be to zero. And I think based on the discussion with David, I think he'd also agree with that. I, I also like the fact that he doesn't want to market time these. But what's funny about things like metals, when um, when we back-tested putting metals in a portfolio, even though a metal like gold or silver will be more volatile than the stock market or has the ability to be, let's put it that way. To David's point, silver will do nothing until you're sure it's never going to do anything. And then all of a sudden it, it just pops, right? And it's usually the day after you sold. Uh, exactly. The day after you gave up just reminded me totally of things you say about the market and any strategy you have in the market and why you don't time any of these markets. But, um, but what I found was that having some of this aggressive stuff in your portfolio at a five or maybe even 10%, if you're even more conservative, and it's funny cause I just said it's aggressive and talking out of the other side of my mouth about being conservative, OG. But if you're conservative and you want your portfolio kind of calm down, it's like just a little bit of pepper in your, you don't need a lot of pepper, but just a little bit of pepper in the mix makes uh, the food taste better. Yeah. Uh, any sort of uncorrelated asset is going to provide a benefit to the overall kind of smoothness of the ride of your portfolio. And it depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for the best return, we just did a workshop a couple of weeks ago for clients where we had an uh, investment person on, and they were talking about the best asset classes that had the best returns over the last you know 100 years worth of data. And the answer is small value companies. So really small companies that have been around a long time have low priced earnings. Those are the ones that perform the best. And you say, well, excellent. Why don't I just put all my money there? Because the ride, the roller coaster that you'll be on includes such favorite hits as, and then your portfolio went down minus 65%, you know, and it's not even the minus 65 that gets you. It's the minus 65 followed by five years of hanging out at the bottom before it comes back. And no one has the fortitude to be able to pull that off over a long period of time. So what diversification does, it doesn't guarantee you a better return. It guarantees you a smoother return. It helps you get a smoother return, which in fact does give you a better return because you're less likely to actually do anything about it because your portfolio as a whole just trends up nicely versus these wild swings by only having the S&P or only having small caps or only having international or something like that. It, it is uh, seems strange to people when they first start out. I remember it was strange to me that by adding more volatility – but different types of volatility. So adding more aggressive stuff to a portfolio, let's say that you have the S&P 500 because, oh gee, you feel comfortable with big companies. Um, so you're like, yeah, I don't want to buy really volatile stuff, but I believe in the stock market. So I'm going to buy just the biggest of the big companies, S&P 500, Dow Jones Industrial Average, something like that, right? But if you add some of these more aggressive things to your portfolio, it can actually smooth it out. It actually makes it it makes your portfolio less aggressive if you add more aggressive things in the right allocations. It reminds me of noise canceling headphones. 
you have noise canceling headphones at home? I do. Like Bose or something, right? And so do you know how they work? No. It's going to blow your mind. The analogy is just so freaking spot on, dog. It's you're going to just like Did you just call me dog? Dog, dude. Is dog, that is that the bro. thing we're doing the next 1000 episodes? Bro, brosif. So, your sound, sound comes to you like in a little wave, right? That's how you hear it, right? So what Bose does is they create the opposite wave as it hits the your your headphones from because, everything that's external. Yeah. So instead of the noise having the up, down, up, down, up, down, you know, you remember this from math class, the sine wave, right? The little up, down, up, down, up, down. Yeah. They make it go down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up. And so it cancels it out. That's why it is much quieter. That's crazy. You can do this with little speakers too. There's a little test that you can do. But anyways, my point is, is that when you have the opposite thing, it actually smooths it out. Just like you experience in your yeah. noise canceling headphones. Good, good stuff there. Big thanks to both uh, Dirk. And I was very sad to hear that Dirk was not related to Tom Izzo. So, uh, because I really need somebody to tell Tom Izzo to get that damn team moving. Like I said to Dirk, man, we're running out of time. Running out of time. For being a non-Michigan State fan, I had the best college basketball seats that you could possibly imagine when I was in college at Michigan State. At Michigan State. Yep. As a non-Michigan State fan. Because my cousin was at Michigan State and he was a grad student, but then he transferred grad programs, so he couldn't go to the games anymore. So he gave me the tickets. They were like row four. Oh back goodness! When it was cool to be in the Izone, and I was a freshman. freshman. Back when it was cool, as if it's not cool, not easy. I caught that. It's still cool now, but <laughs> bro, no, it's bra. No, it's not. No, it's not, dude. Dude, <laughs> what's mine say? <laughs> Do you know that that yes. movie? Yes. Uh, you're supposed uh, to say dude. What is it? You're supposed to say dude. What's mine say? Yeah, dude. And then what's the other what, one? What's mine say? Sweet. Sweet. <laughs> what's mine say? Dude. <laughs> then you say what's mine say. What's mine say? Sweet. Sweet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So annoying. Hey, something that's not annoying, especially, and it's actually good news, if you're an active duty service member, veteran, DOD, civilian, or military branch member, you can join Navy Federal. That means if you've served in any branch of the military, it doesn't have to be just the Navy. It could be the Army, Marine Corps, Air Force, Coast Guard. You can join Navy Federal Credit Union. On average, Navy Federal members earn and save $361 more per year, OG. You could pay no fees, get low rates and rate discounts, plus earn cash back and grow your savings. Navy Federal puts members first by helping them save money, make money, and enjoy peace of mind and security through personalized around-the-clock service. Plus, now's a great time to join. Have a large credit card balance after the holidays? Let Navy Federal Credit Union help you rebalance your priorities. Make a plan to get rid of that high-interest credit card debt and transfer your balance to a Navy Federal credit card. With a low intro APR, no balance transfer fees, you can pick the right card to help you take back control. Visit NavyFederal.org, Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are our mission. Insured by NCUA, dollar value of Navy Federal's 2019 member giveback study, 5.99 to 18% variable APRs based on product type and credit worthiness, up to $1 cash advance transaction fee at non-Navy Federal ATMs. I think our big takeaways here... Non-correlating assets, good thing to look at in your portfolio, especially if you don't like the roller coaster ride. And then second, innovation often happens in times when things aren't going all that great. 
Hey, Joe, it's Jill Schlesinger from Jill on Money. Mark and I want to congratulate you for reaching your 1000th episode for Stacking Benjamins. Now, we love you because we love your audience. We love you. You're so generous. And as a special gift, I'm going to give you Mark's voice, which very rarely makes an appearance. Mark, can you actually wish Joe a happy anniversary or share in this celebration? Joe, I never, ever, ever come on the air. But for you, 1,000 episodes, that's what it takes to get me on the uh, on the pod. So congrats, Joe. And here's to another 1,000 more. All right. Mazel tov from Jill on Money. 1,000 more. We're all behind you. Take care. Thank you, Jill and Mark. And by the way, Mark is uh, one of my favorite people on earth. Of course, Jill, even OG, as we started this podcast, a person I've always looked up to is Jill Schlesinger and Jill on Money Show. But um, but Mark never talks. We got him. We got it's we it's got like him. it's like seeing the the groundhog, you know, come out. Although Mark, the groundhog reference is not you're you're a very good looking dude. There's no judgment in groundhog stuff. But oh boy. Uh, Oh big, boy. big thing, big thanks to Jill and Mark. Way to get the guy to come back out again another time. Hey, you look like a groundhog. <laughs> you should be on our show more. Hey, Mark. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The hell are you doing, man? Well, what do you think spring's going to do? This is a family show. <laughs> That's horrible. Well, we will play more of these of these in a little bit. Can't wait to see what awaits us. But this show is all about you guys. And I want to start with, oh, gee, some of the lessons that I learned about money over the past uh, thousand episodes, nearly a decade, nine, just over nine years of doing this podcast. The biggest thing that I learned and we've had people tell us over nine years as different things have happened. And actually, even just before we started this podcast, when the uh, real estate game blew up, we had people telling us when you and I were blogging, remember this, the real estate game's changed. You know, we don't need credit applications. We don't need, we just, just go buy real estate. It doesn't go down. You people on TV telling you how great it was. Same thing early in my, in my career as an advisor, when we got to 1999, I remember the head of one of my favorite mutual funds. And at that time, there wasn't much exposure to ETFs. ETFs were kind of a brand yeah, spanking right. new thing. At that time, it was all actively managed funds. And you spent a good part of your time finding the right managers. And I remember one of my favorite managers saying, I keep hearing about how this is the new economy. Mm -hmm. And we heard that 1998, 1990, this is the new economy. All that fundamental stuff about profits and throw all that away because this is the new, new thing, right? We were told recently in a review that somebody left us that our ideas are 10 years old and stuck in the past. And it's funny what I've learned over and over and over as new strategy after new strategy after new strategy blows up, that the fundamentals are still the most important thing, OG. There is, there is no new new. Doesn't mean you shouldn't follow it. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't pay attention to your money. But when you hear something's the new new thing and the old way, quote, old way of investing is dead, I question it more than ever. You're still going to be buying ownership in companies and to pay for ownership of companies, it's going to be based on how much they earn you, right? I mean, if we offered up stacking Benjamin's shares, people are going to want to know, so how much money do you make? 
we won't get a, a large share price for our stock because of that. And sometimes you are willing to pay a higher multiple for future earnings because of because it is kind of the new thing, and you're and you're okay with seeing how that plays out, right? Your Amazon's or something. But by and large, it's still the same stuff. It's still you want to invest in stuff. You want to invest in companies that are going to produce you earnings in the future. You want to be an owner of a company that is going to provide you as an owner some cash. And that cash comes in appreciation or it comes in dividends. You know, and before it blew up to be 10 million people, I actually had a, um, and I still do have, but obviously with 10 million, it's not as compelling as it was when it was smaller. The Wall Street Bets crowd had a, a different outlook on money that I had an appreciation for, which was, it's only money. It's only money. And richer and more boats isn't what it's about. So go ahead and load up on a single stock and try to ride that thing to the moon. And it was a whole different way of looking at it. But these people, when you were there earlier, these people knew what the danger was, but it wasn't about the danger. It was about a whole different framework of thinking about the role of money in my life. I like that. But that didn't change the fundamentals, OG, of investing. Right. The philosophy was, was, depending on who you are, was fantastic or destructive. But the fact that the people in the earlier days of Wall Street bets knew that it could be destructive, and that was kind of half the point of it, right? So be it. I had a lot of respect for that. So some of the new voices that have come out, uh, bitches get riches in blogging. Some of the blogging voices, rich and regular, that have these ways of talking about money that reach people that that haven't been reached before when you can <laughs> specifically we're talking about the bitches if you can use the f-bomb to make somebody realize that financial responsibility matters i think that's pretty cool and even before that og i mean let's go back to what five years ago and really the rolling of the fire movement but in all these while they call it the fire movement Back in 1993, when I started as an advisor, there were people that wanted to retire early and realized that if you put a big difference between your income and your expenses, you were going to get there much quicker. And certainly, even Vicki Robin wasn't the first person to talk about trading time for money. But the prominence of that is pretty exciting. But once again, didn't change the fundamentals at all. Didn't change that. Still have to spend less than you earn and... Yeah. Invest the difference. Yeah. Yeah. And if we can spend time in the future on this podcast, continuing to shine a light on some of these ideas, I'd love to help people find them. All right. Fine. I'll stick around another few episodes. <laughs> so that's, that's one that I have. I don't know if you've thought about any OG, but some of these fundamentals build your reserve first. How many times have we done headline stories where not having your emergency fund in order has just cooked you? And we continually, over the course of the past decade, have gotten pushback from people about, why not get more aggressive with your reserve? Yeah. And you and I continually say, it's not about optimizing everything. It's about being more aggressive with your long-term money. And having that reserve allows you to do that in a free way. You can do it without worrying so much about it. When people underappreciate the, the impact of what the past was, you know, talking about how things don't ever change and we're talking about cash reserve here. If you were 12 when the recession happened in 2008 and 2009, you have no idea what you're talking about <laughs> when it comes to like, I don't need a cash reserve. It'll be fine. 
It wasn't fine. Even your cash reserve, like, listen, this is so, you can't even imagine this. Even your cash reserve was restricted. Even if you had the money in a money market fund, they said, sorry, dude, you, you can't have it today. Maybe, dem- maybe tomorrow. We'll send some tomorrow, probably, maybe. Maybe tomorrow, or maybe next week. We're not sure. And we're pretty sure it'll be here, so don't sweat it. But like, like the freaking cash became unavailable. And then when people are like, yeah, I don't care. I could just use my credit cards. No, they got rid of credit cards. Oh, no, they couldn't cancel it. Not only did they, yes, they canceled it. And then they sent you a bill and said, hey, I know that you were at $5,000 of your $10,000 limit. Uh, your new limit is 4900 so you're over. And ding, oh, crap, that jacked up your credit score because, because now you're maxed out on your credit cards. And that looks bad to the credit reports. Yeah, we don't care. We don't care that you were a good credit risk. And now because we changed the denominator, you're now a poor credit risk. So you can't even fix it on your own. You have to do it the right way. And every single solitary time that somebody tries to do it the cute way, right? That, well, you know, I'm going to put mine in this. It eventually ends in misery. You just have to look at, you know, the last year and a half for people that were the hardest hit for all of the COVID stuff that's going on, right? Hospitality entertainment, you know, restaurant, that workforce, they're ta- they're, if you listen to that group of people talk, they're not saying, hey, I can't wait to get my three months cash reserve back. They're going, I think I need to have 12 or 18 months of cash reserve. So talk to somebody who actually had this happen where they went through their, had it, they had their six-month cash reserve, went through it, and then what? It's a symptom of not doing the right stuff early. It's a symptom of not wanting to do all of the right things all of the time. So you think that you can get cute with it and say, that's, this is just the same thing as the GameStop thing. If you didn't save money in your 401k, if you, did, if you weren't investing, if you're behind the eight ball and you're 48 years old and you hear about this thing on the internet that's going like gangbusters and your buddy said he made a million dollars last week, you're like, I'm a little behind. I'm going to do that too. And then you get smoked and you get smoked because you gave up the opportunity to, to, to do it the right way thinking that you were behind the eight ball. You're not. You have so much time. There's, you know, you look at your investment accounts and you go, I'm 50 years old and I don't have anything for retirement. Guess what? Yeah, you're not going to retire at 55. I think you understand that, but you can retire at 70. What do you think the people that are 20 that are trying to fire at 40 think? Do they go like, oh my God, there's not enough time? No, they go, my God, I got 20 years. (laughs) You know, if you got 50 and you can make it to 70, you have enough time. You just have to do things differently and you have to do it in the right order. So I love hearing the success stories, by the way, from people that have uh, done that. We've gotten some really exciting emails from people that said, hey, I had a big insert X problem here. And because of you guys, we had the money in the bank to be able to handle it. Didn't have to touch my investments. Didn't have to go to credit. Which, by the way, I think for me was another thing that doing this podcast reaffirmed, which is also fundamental. You know, we do talk about credit cards here from time to time, but don't touch credit until you have a system for touching credit. That hasn't changed either. How many times the past 10 years have we seen people get in trouble because of the fact that they touch credit without a system? Once you have a system, then go at it. And as an example, two of our sponsors currently, Navy Federal Credit Union, Absolutely. 
Once you have a system for managing your debt, lowering the interest rate on that debt with a credit card makes sense. Right. If you don't have a system, apologies to Navy Federal, but if you but if you don't have a system, not really to Navy Federal, but to any company issuing credit cards, they would agree. If you don't have a system, you're going to go open up another credit card. You're going to keep the old one. You're going to have the new one. Now you're going to double your debt. And you have a new TV for the yeah, Super Bowl. Exactly. Yes. Oh, we have we have more credit available. Let's uh, let's you know we'll pay this off. I I know. And then something comes up, and you just you have to appreciate the cash lifestyle. And then discover with the reward point game, another sponsor of our show. Um, reward point games are fantastic. If you mm-hmm. pay your credit card off every month. Involves, again, a system. The next thing that has been reaffirmed the past decade, tax strategies. Super fantastic. Not as great as flexibility. Flexibility over the world's best tax strategy every day. How many times have we gotten letters from people saying, I'm locked in. Can you guys help? If the last 10 years hasn't taught you anything, it's it's that it's going to change. You know, I mean, obviously, we're at the beginning of a new administration there's likely to be some tax changes later this year that are in effect for a while that replace the tax changes that were just a few years ago that we were told were going to be in force until 2026. You know, so it's not about like saying, well, I've got this figured out and it's licked. I, I love it when people say, well, should I put money in my IRA or my Roth IRA? Should I do a pre-tax 401k or Roth 401k? Like, uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we'll find out at the end whether or not we were right. What we should do is probably have a little bit of both. If you can take advantage of a marginal deduction today, okay, fine, do it. You know, don't be dumb. Don't leave money on the table today. But also recognize that that thing may change. You know, they, the government may come in and go, you know, that whole Roth IRA thing we've been talking about, that's way too good for you guys. So now we're going to have just a flat 10% tax on that. Well, does that change? Can, can you then go back in time and change it? Of course not. You go, well, I, that didn't work out. Or IRA contributions that require distributions. They've changed it already from 70 and a half to 72. They're talking about changing it to 75, which would be fantastic. But maybe they don't. Maybe they change it the other way. What if what if the next administration goes, yeah, I think I think you guys have been riding the gravy train too long. You gotta start taking out your 401ks at 65. One or thing, social security changes or something like that. One thing is for sure, and I go back to David McKnight uh, in his interview with us a couple of years ago about his power of zero, about trying to get your tax rate to zero. I do agree with this. He was talking about one of the comptrollers of the United States government, and this particular guy had worked for both Republicans and Democrats. So if there's somebody who's nonpartisan, it's the comptroller. Plus, this is somebody who's a front row seat to the revenue coming in to the United States government. And he made this great point, OG, saying that when you look at tax rates now versus tax rates throughout history, we're very, very, very low. Tax rates are incredibly low. And the other point that he made was that tax rates are going to have to go up. And he quoted this comptroller. He said, there's a four letter word that says why tax rates have to go up. And David tells a story great about how people guessed what the word was, all of these different different words. He said, the reason tax rates have to go up is math. And the math becomes more compelling every day that no matter whether it's a Democrat or Republican in charge, the math is going to have to change because we've got to have more money in the kitty, going to have to be more money in the kitty. So if that's the case, that does make a compelling argument for doing these Roth conversions, Right take advantage of the fact that tax rates are low and do your Roth conversion. But also to your point though, the rules 
can always change. And the one constant is change. So I would go in with my eyes open going, you know what? We could change the game later. But I also think I might have a Roth conversion strategy now. And recognize that while that's how it works right now, and that's fantastic, there's nothing to stop 25 years from now. Because for those of us who are 40, 25 years from now is maybe when we might start thinking about taking money out of our retirement accounts, maybe a little earlier. That's a lot of time. That's a lot (laughs) of elections for people to go, yeah, we just want to do things differently. And to your point, Joe, because it was to my point earlier now, now, a point counterpoint, you know, (laughs) the right answer is make sure you've got a little bit of everything because then no matter what wind blows in which direction, you've got some flexibility. And, and the idea is if you can create flexibility today and you can create flexibility in the future, whichever happens, you've got an opportunity to take advantage of whatever scheme is in place at the time to make it work for you. We got a couple more podcasters here who I think are sending us some congratulations on today. Let's uh, talk to Joel and Matt from How to Money podcast, our friends Joel and Matt. All right, Matt, I think we're supposed to record something for the stack. Yeah, hit record. Oh, okay. Yeah. uh, We rolling. Oh, good. Okay. Hey, uh, Stacking Benjamins, (laughs) it's Matt and Joel from How to Money, and we wanted to say congratulations on a thousand podcast episodes. I can't believe you made it this far. Pretty sure it's a thousand years worth of making a perfectly useless personal finance show. They're so old. It must be a thousand (laughs) years. Yeah, we must have got that wrong. As long as they keep making their show, though, I am glad because it means we're not the the worst show out there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, as long as uh, Stacking Benjamins continues to create content it means how to money is the second worst financial podcast 100 percent. so thanks guys keep it up <laughs> just yeah. so we're not in last place yeah cheers to you guys and we'll go ahead and crack one open pour one out for y'all right now sorry it's not a bush light like you guys tend to drink but um <laughs> yeah we'll do our best before we get on to bush bush light thanks to joel and matt i think we just got called old i don't think that that wasn't very nice i think it's important for everyone to know that there is a significant age gap between you and i Oh, I mean, look at this. I mean, now you're going to throw me under the bus. I mean, hey, it is, whoa, whoa, it whoa, is whoa, a, approaching, approaching an entire decade. I mean, your birthday's coming up, and I don't know what you were, your year you were born. My birthday was just a little bit ago, so it makes us off by like three months of a, of being off by a decade. So I get to turn 39 again next week, which means that uh, you must be 29. Hey, a guy that can't just call us 30, old. 39 for the 14th time. A guy that can't call us old, and he is wise, and a guy I hugely respect, uh, David Stein from Money for the Rest of Us. Hey, this is David Stein of Money for the Rest of Us. Congratulations, Joe and OG, for a thousand episodes. That's amazing. A thousand more, and I might have to give it a listen. By then, hopefully you'll have the training wheels off. Is anybody going to say something nice? Are we going to have one? But Jill said something nice. It's like a roast. I think it might be. Uh, OG, let's get into some of our listener feedback here and some of our, our letters. We've gotten some great letters from you guys, and I'm super excited to talk to the family. Felix kicks it off. Felix said, I want to thank you on your reporting of the GameStop anomaly accurately. I've been following the Reddit scene for a few months now for pure entertainment, and the core of the price spiking had so much to do with the short interest and the abuse of that system by the likes of Melvin et al., You're the only media source I've seen that's given that side of it, and I'm severely disappointed in establishment news. 
even uh, some big names, which I enjoy, which propagate theories like people just like GameStop. And there's widespread manipulation by retail investors. Always entertained by your shows, listening since November 2020, and will continue to. Thanks a bunch. Thanks, Felix. And uh, thanks to everybody else, by the way, who reached out on social media and said that they enjoyed our coverage. You know, most people said, OG, that we were a little later to the party, talking about it a couple days later than other people may have. But we, um, I don't know. I think that whole situation frustrates me. It frustrates me mostly by the people that that are going to get hurt by it, that have been hurt by it. And I know that Melvin isn't the company that's going to get hurt. It's going to be somebody that can't afford to be hurt that's going to be hurt. Yeah. And that's the downside of trying to get cute. Second, want to say a big thanks to Colleen for sending this one in. She says, thanks for your podcast. I'm a regular listener. I'm a business owner of 14 years and a single mom. The demands on my time and money are many and varied. I strive to learn all I can about finances and business to continually supplement my business degree and fine arts degree. By the way, Colleen, before I go on, I love that combination. If you can be somebody at the intersection of fine arts and creating this beautiful stuff and business, I think, man... That's a great place to be. I think it makes a restaurant run better when you understand the art of it, right? The Uh art of being a good waiter, the art of being a good chef. It makes the experience at a store better. If the person serving you, helping you try on clothes, understands the art of that. Just talking to people in the past, like Don Hahn, who produced movies like Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin, or Austin Kleon, of course, the guy who wrote the great book, Steal Like an Artist these artists right at that business intersection. I love anyway, she continues. Education is a lifelong endeavor and your podcast is great fun to listen to. And I always learn something. So thank you so much. She said she'd like to compliment Paula's comments on our show on Friday, January 22nd, especially in response to the voicemail question. Paula brings a fresh perspective and holistic viewpoint to all life circumstances regarding money decisions and is a great asset and voice to your show. Thanks for including her perspective And you guys are just great. Sincerely, Colleen from Chicago. Uh, Thanks for that note, Colleen. And that's a great intro, OG, that you and I weren't able to do this alone, getting to a thousand episodes. We had a bunch of help. And of course, we have to start with our roundtable team, Paula and Len, who help us make just some good, fun radio on Fridays. It would just be super boring if it was just me and you on Fridays. (laughs) Thank you. It's kind of a weird roundtable. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So what do you think? Uh, nothing different than I thought two days ago. <laughs> but I love their perspectives and not just their perspectives, OG. We try hard these thousand episodes to bring a lot of different perspectives. And if there's feedback about this show that frustrates me the most, it's when somebody says that we advocate for X, Y, or Z, and it was somebody we brought on the show that advocated for that. And we're trying to give you as many perspectives as possible. Certainly to some degree, I can see that we would have to advocate for something if we're going to have somebody on the show. There's this, I guess, implicit endorsement mm-hmm. of somebody. But um, if we can curate fresh voices or important voices that you can listen to, I feel like we want to be the airport and we want to point out a bunch of different planes and you can decide which one you get on. So thank you for that note, Colleen. Uh, we're going to have a couple more notes in a second. But first, our friend Lacey, Lacey Langford. Let's see what Lacey has to say for us. This is Lacey Langford from the Military Money Show and Doug's favorite guest. 
Wow. 1,000 episodes. I, I didn't even know you guys still had a podcast. Kudos for not quitting. Happy 1,000th episode, Stack and Benjamins. Here's to really lowering the bar. <laughs> Short and sweet, Lacey. We love you. Thank you. Uh, is stacking Benjamins the equivalent of averaging down on your on your stock? <laughs> like where it just keeps going down, you just buy more of it, so your cost basis goes down. The average cost basis goes down. Uh, I think it. I think it must be. Uh, you think we got to stop there? We're not going to stop there. Our friend Doc G, who joined our network uh, last year, and it's been so fun creating stuff with Doc G and the Earn and Invest podcast. By the way, if you like our Friday roundtables. Doc does roundtables all the time, and his are far more intense than ours are. Uh, let's see what our friend Doc G has to say. Hey, shh. Quiet, kids. Be quiet, I say. Okay, here we go. Is this thing live? Hey, this is Doc G, and I can't believe that Stacking Benjamins has hit a thousand episodes. As some of you may know, I've gotten an insider's look over the last year about what actually goes on in the basement, and let me tell you, it ain't pretty. First of all, the real mind trust of the show is, can you believe it? Neighbor Doug. No, seriously. Have you ever heard of the band Millie Vanilli? The actual band... Full of geeks and rather unattractive people hired two good-looking guys, Rob and Fab, to be the face of the show even though they couldn't sing a lick. Well, the same thing's happening here. Joe and OG, they're just eye candy. Seriously. I remember chilling on Joe's mom's couch in the basement last year while neighbor Doug had to spend like two hours explaining to Joe that Robin Hood isn't actually a stock that he can invest in. Joe got so pissed off that he started to move around the country without telling anyone where to find him. And don't get me started on OG. He's been sour ever since Doug made him wear the grocery bag for the podcast artwork. Anyway, so I wanted to say congrats on a thousand to Doug and Tina, Joe and OG, Richie, Taylor, Karen, and Kevin. Doug, man, sorry about 2020. I wrote you in. Really, I did. Hopefully, we'll see you back on the ballot in 2024, and by that time, Stacking Benjamins will probably be up to 2,000 episodes. God, save us. In the immortal words of the real force behind the Stacking Benjamins podcast, see ya! I'm Doc G. I don't know if, if we needed the whole Millie Vanilli production value, but thanks. Thanks. Do I say thanks? He called us eye candy. So I think we should be happy with that. I've, I don't often get called eye candy. <laughs> yeah. No, you don't. Very true. Of course you do. Which is why to bring you down to our level, Doug said, you got to put the bag over your head because we don't want to mm-hmm. have that brilliance end up going through the podcast airwaves. Doc brings up something great, which is our team. We have a great team that helps us make this podcast. Gertrude, who many of you know, if you are in our Facebook group or you've gotten emails from her, Karen, who uh, takes care of booking all of our guests, Taylor, who writes a big part of these shows, Richie, who takes care of everything, I swear, behind the scenes on the technical side and also writes our show notes. Uh, Richie's turned into a great writer as well. 
Kevin, who also works on the blog side. And of course, the amazing Steve Stewart, who put this together and who probably will put a sound effect in here for himself uh, right about now. But it takes a village, as they say, OG. And, uh, and I really like our team. Plato has a question for us in this letter. It's Plato from Georgia. Been listening to your podcast the last few months. Learned a lot through them. And uh, although you wouldn't know it based on our podcasting friends, uh, this episode, in many old podcasts, you've recommended books on personal finance, real estate, small business, et cetera. Can you please share your book recommendations one more time? Thank you, Plato. This is a question, Plato, that comes up uh, uh, fairly regularly. However, we haven't answered this in quite a while. So thanks for the question. And uh, OG, I always love sharpening the saw by doing some reading. Plato, here's a few of them. My favorite comprehensive book on financial planning is by Rick Edelman. Rick wrote a fantastic book a number of years ago called The Truth About Money. It's been reprinted a few times. I like it because it's even-handed. It doesn't have an axe to grind. It is, uh, it's funny. I really like the way Rick talks about money in that book. So The Truth About Money is a great one. When it comes to money philosophy, I can't do better than two different books. On one hand, you have to look at, we talked about the FIRE movement earlier in the show, that's financial independence, retire early. Certainly, the woman who kind of created all that, you could really point to a guy called Mr. Money Mustache for creating that, but the guy that he was was inspired by is a woman named Vicki Robin, and she has a fantastic book called Your Money or Your Life. And it's a fantastic book about the philosophy behind money. But also for me personally, I really like the book Happy Money by Ken Honda. Much more than the fire movement for me, that book speaks directly to me and what I believe. And it's all based on gratitude and uh, giving thanks. And I think the more gratitude that we can express around the way that we handle our money, I think we be more respectful with our money and handle our money better if we have some some gratitude and thanks around how we got it in the first place. We're not going to be so frivolous with it. When it comes to investing, it depends on what type of investing you like to do. Of course, people are going to point to Jack Bogle. That's a fantastic book for a primer on fees and investing. I like a book by Louis Navalier, the, the what's it called, OG, the little book that'll make you rich. Yep. If you're interested in individual stocks, the initial book by The Motley Fool, the very first one that they wrote, these these three books are dated if you're looking at individual stocks, but The Motley Fool's first book, I think it's The Motley Fool Guide to Investing, Peter Lynch Beat the Street, also a dated book, but still completely relevant. And a third book that's incredibly boring, but there is one chapter in this called Trading Rule. The book is called Trading Rules. And there is uh, the list of these rules that when you're going to trade stocks that people forget all the time and they violate all the time. Trading Rules is another book. I believe Trading Rules is even out of print. But when I think about trading individual stocks uh, or any individual positions, I think about Trading Rules. Also, you have to talk to in terms of your money thoughts. The original Broke Millennial book is great. Scott Trench's book, Set for Life, is fantastic. And I also like Ramit Sadie's I Will Teach You to Be Rich. All of those have a little different flair, but really around just the vibe and being excited about investing and giving you kind of a framework for getting there. I like those books. 
Oh, I thought you were going to give like one or two. So I was uh, prepared for one or two. Sorry. Uh, <clears throat> that's right. So a couple of mine, let's do Richest Man in Babylon. Oh, fantastic. I had my son reading that. Yeah. It's a parable. I like parable books. Those are kind of my favorite ways to have them delivered, the lessons delivered to me. So Richest Man in Babylon have recently reread, or I'm rereading, I should say. Well, it's kind of a money book, but it's called Fooling Some of the People All of the Time. It's about a hedge fund manager, top of mind, uh, who has a short position in a stock, top of mind, and uh, the lengths at which people would go to uh, try to prove him wrong. Uh, Lately on the uh, reading list is The Psychology of Money, Morgan Housel's new money book, which I thought was pretty good, really good. I also like Ramit's stuff. I I like listening to him better than reading him. I feel like he's a good kind of... He's got a good radio voice. He doesn't have a good book book voice. You don't think so? Yeah, my son loves the way that he that he writes. He especially likes it. I like it a lot too. But you're right. When every time we talk to him, yeah, I'd rather I'd rather listen to him. Yeah, I really liked uh, Matt Hall's book, who's a kind of an unknown person called Odds On. He was on our show. Uh, we will link that. Of course, Ramit's been on our show a few times. Sure. So Matt owns a uh, planning firm up in um, uh, St. Louis, but he wrote a really great book about investing. Uh, let's see what else. If you're getting into like deep into investing and you feel like, uh, feel like really going down the rabbit hole, anything from Buffett or, or Benjamin Graham, of course, the intelligent investor. And if you can find it, which is very, very, very difficult to do margin of safety by Seth Klarman, uh, it's uh, way out of print. I mean, it's like one of the most looked for books in the universe right now. So if you can find it, it's worth tons of money, but I think if you're looking to avoid potholes, I think Jill Schlesinger's book, uh, uh, The Dumb Things People Do With Money, I think is is the name of it, where you can just avoid these big, bad things that people do with money. The Dumb Things Smart People Do With Money, I thought was was also a really good read. Of course, you can't go wrong with anything by, by Gene Chatsky. David uh, Bach has a parable book out, by the way, that takes his latte factor and turns it into a parable. So you've got that too. How's that? Uh, t- 30 books? 30, yeah. And then, uh, <laughs> of course, all the Millionaire Next Door series. Of course. Thomas yeah, Stanley. good stuff. Thanks for the question, Plato. We have a couple more people here, OG. Two separate people. Apparently, they're in the same room enough. They can't be together a lot. Uh, Mindy Jensen and Scott Trench are friends over at Bigger Pockets Money. Let's see what they have to say. Hey there, this is Mindy Jensen from the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I can't believe Stacking Benjamins actually made it to a thousand episodes. I didn't even know Joe could count that high. I guess Joe's, I don't have a real job, maybe I'll make a podcast idea, wasn't such a bad one after all. Of course, if he ever does want to get a real job, this show will probably be exhibit number one for why he won't be hired. Anyway, congratulations are in order. OG and neighbor Doug, nice job on reaching this epic milestone. I like how uh, I know Mindy personally, so she saves all the snark for me. Thank you, Mindy. Very, very polite to you, OG. As it must be. Ever so, it must be thus. Yeah, which if she knew you. I have such thin skin, that's why. (laughs) And let's say hi to, we just mentioned him for his book, Set for Life, but also our friend Scott Trench. A thousand episodes. Wow, that's an awesome achievement. You guys are really stacking, stacking Benjamin's podcasts there. And I hope you're taking a little bit of your own advice and continuing all the good fundamentals 
maybe stacking Benjamins yourself while stacking stacking Benjamins podcasts. Congratulations, guys. That's an awesome achievement. Look forward to the next thousand. Thank you, Scott. And I never, I never thought about that. Did you ever think about taking our own advice? Are we supposed to be investing while we do this? Ah. I thought this podcasting thing was going to be the gravy train. It's cash flow. We get the cash flow from it. We'll talk about lessons learned in podcasting in just a moment, uh, but I think it's time for you and I to get a drink. We'll also have uh, some more of our friends from podcasting and a few more of your notes. But uh, Doug, what's our trivia today? Hey, stackers, I'm your pal Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And this wouldn't be the 1,000th episode without the best part of the show, by far, really, my trivia, as proof, Joe's mom just now said, just get on with it. And you and I both know what that means. She wants me to get this show really rocking. So how about this? Since today is National Home Warranty Day, and I can't think of anything more funny than those car warranty calls you get 11 times a day, let's switch on over to the home warranty's cousin, homeowner's insurance. What is the most common type of homeowner's insurance claim. I'll be back faster than you can file that warranty you've been thinking about for weeks. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Well, Stackers, when you're done messing around with us in the thousandth episode, you got to check out Talking Real Money because my friends Don and Tom run that podcast and I absolutely love listening to these two guys because they are able to combine something that not many people have. They have a lot of time spent uh, as financial journalists. And at the same time, they're people that have a deep understanding of money. Uh, Don himself is one of the first national financial talk show hosts, and uh, he's been doing this since 1988. And by the way, if you've heard Don on our show before, and you're going to hear him again soon here, uh, Don, Don has a voice that, um, oh man, and uh, his co-host, Tom, former host of Serious Money on PBS. These two guys have both things that you want. They can explain concepts and they have the depth of knowledge that you need. So you're going to get straightforward, honest advice on building the wealth you need for a more secure future from two guys that have this unique skill set as both broadcasters and financial export exports. Exports? Probably not. Experts. 575 plus episodes. You'll learn how to invest better, worry less, spend less in fees and commissions. I think you really need to check it out. OG and I love the show. Head to Talking Real Money. We'll have a link on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com, but also just put Talking Real Money in wherever you're listening to us now. Hey, 
trivia fans, it's me, Joe's mom's neighbor Doug, and I am back with today's trivia question. Question was, what is the most common type of insurance claim? If you guessed theft, then swing and a miss, because you were off by five, as theft represents just 1% of all claims. Here's the remaining top five. Uh, Coming in at number five, it's liability, which is 2% of claims. Uh, Number four, non-theft property damage, 6% of claims. Number three, water damage and freezing at 24% of claims. Uh, Number two, fire and lightning damage at 32% of claims. And perhaps just a bit surprising, coming in at number one is wind and hail at 34% of claims. Well, time for me to go. I just realized my broken blender from that orange and vodka incident back in 92 might still be under warranty. I got to go claim some big bucks. See ya. Hey, hey, this is Andy Hill from the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast. 1,000 episodes? Isn't there a cap to how many episodes you can do? I mean, there's got to be some rules that uh, block this sort of thing, and it just seems like... Well, maybe you guys will be the experiment to figure out if there is a cap. But anyway, congratulations to the Stacking Benjamins team. I am just proud to know that I know you guys, even though you're doing this thing in a basement. I I hope you can upgrade and maybe with episode 1001 and maybe just find like a, you know, a small little studio space. Uh, I, I think you can smell the basement smell, the, the, the moldy kind of basement smell through the airwaves. So maybe a little upgrade is in order, but anyway, congratulations. And yeah, a thousand and one, maybe a, maybe a van down by the river, something like that. <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> I love it. How Andy cracks himself up. He thinks he's funny. He does. That's what, I love Andy hell. Such a great guy. Thanks, Andy. And by the way, frugality, my friend, you know that as well as anybody. Andy paid off his house in a short amount of time. He knows frugality. Amazing. Yep. Yeah, we're not moving, dude. Come on. We are We are not moving. We talk about podcasting. We've also learned some things about podcasting, I think, over the last decade. And one is to surround yourself with great people. And a guy that I've learned a lot from over the years is a gentleman named Dave Jackson. He has a show called The School of Podcasting. And uh, every time I get to Cleveland, I meet him at Bob Evans for breakfast. And I've got a note here from Dave Jackson, who, by the way, a lot of people don't know this. There's a podcasting Hall of Fame OG. Dave Jackson is in the podcasting Hall of Fame. Oh, he's in it. That's cool. Takes, Takes a lot to get there. Not a lot of people there. Let's hear what Dave has to say. Hey, this is Dave Jackson from the school of podcasting.com. I just want to take a quick second to give a quick shout out to my buddy, Joe seal. Cy. What? Highly. Oh, hmm. Do I have Karen? Do I have to do this? It's great exposure. Exposure. Yeah. It's great exposure. Nobody's listening to the show. Oh, there's a ton of people really? listening to the show. No. Yes. Get out. I'm telling you. Um, okay, here we go. Three, two, Hey, this is Dave Jackson from the school of podcasting.com. Just want to give a quick shout out to my buddy, Joe and the stacking Benjamins crew. You know, you guys are the poster children for determination. You know, you, you get going out there a little, little buckaroo. You keep going. I think I can. I think again, you know, a thousand episodes. That's a lot. of I think I can. 
And, you know, maybe someday somebody will actually start listening to this and maybe you'll start making some money. But uh, congrats on a thousand episodes. Love you guys. And uh, can't wait till uh, Joe gets back to being able to travel. And we have yet another awesome time at Bob Evans. Take care, guys. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks again, Dave. Maybe. Thank you for that. And, oh, gee, there's so many jokes in there. And one of Dave Jackson's favorite jokes is uh, when somebody gets into podcasting to make money. And the first lesson, I think you and I, and we didn't get into podcasting to make money, but I will tell you the first lesson that you learn in podcasting is don't go into it for the money. It's hard to make money in podcasting. Is that the uh, lesson number one? Yes. Lesson number two, have something to say enjoy the community and enjoy what you do. And I think people will hear that you enjoy what you do, but, but thanks so much, Dave. I think the second thing, OG, that I learned was that early on, we thought that we needed really good equipment, you know, and um, I upgraded some of our equipment a little fast, but we learned, I would say what, maybe a year, year and a half into it, that it wasn't about the equipment. It's about what you say and preparation and coming to the table with uh with a strategy being a little different than everybody else. If I had any advice for new podcasters, you know, Michelangelo wasn't successful because of his, like, you don't walk up to Michelangelo and go, dude, what, what kind of paintbrush are you using? It seems like podcasters all the time, especially new podcasters think if I just upgrade my equipment a little more, maybe, maybe this thing will go. Yeah. And I would say that it doesn't have to be upgraded, but you can eliminate a lot of the silly stuff. And sometimes we are able to do that, Mr. Construction in your uh, basement area, or sometimes we can't, right? You know, but if you're going to be, you know, if you're going to interview somebody and the dog barks, just redo it. You know, as the doorbell rings, just redo that little bit. It takes two seconds. You can do that. You can have a little love. Absolutely. But I think that's more about loving what you do and making it a nice product. That's just a simple edit. But for quite a while, quite a number of years, I had a $350 microphone. You were still using a $75 microphone. Not, n- there wasn't $300 difference in our, in our microphones. Well, especially since the content that comes out of mine is, uh, <laughs> makes up for it way, way, way better. <laughs> oh man. In podcasting, there are some people who are iconic inside of this industry. And one of the guys is our friend, uh, Glenn Hebert. Glenn OG runs the horse radio network. When you think there's podcasting for everything, of course, I listen to a bunch of board game podcasts, right? And who would know there's five bajillion board gaming podcasts. The guys from you the, would, <laughs> I would guys in the no cube zone joined us this year. We've had Mark Johnson on quite a few times from Board Games to Go. We've had Tom Vassell and and Eric Summer from the Dice Tower. Doug Garrett from Garrett's Games and Geekiness have have helped us all on our post-Thanksgiving or Black Friday episodes. So there's podcasts about everything. This guy has had tons of episodes. makes us look like chumps when it comes to broadcasting. His flagship show is called Horses in the Morning. And our friend Glenn Hebert from the Horse Radio Network dropped us a line. <laughs> Glenn here from the Horse Radio Network. So Stacking Benjamins is growing up. Oh, 1,000 episodes. That's amazing considering that the host has no idea what he's doing. When you get to 5,000, let me know. 
No, seriously, it's a major accomplishment and a ton of work. Congrats to the whole team from all of us in the barn here at the Horse Radio Network. I love how Glenn is the only guy I know who can go a thousand episodes. How cute. That is that is so cute. You get to 5,000, call me. Let me know. And that is the thing about podcasting, OG, is that the average podcast doesn't make it to seven episodes. So once you get beyond seven, if you're going to do it, if you're going to do anything, part of it is getting out there and trying it. How long did it take us to decide to finally do it when you and I had hatched this original idea? Well, it was a while. And then the first 13 of them sucked and are banished from any history. (laughs) And then the, uh, the next 40, you know, so basically it was a year and then some right before. Yeah. And (laughs) some people might argue we haven't found our stride yet, but maybe it was about a year before we found our stride. Uh, I totally agree. You know, we talked on the show several times about 10,000 hours on last Friday's show, Len Penzo said, you know, 10,000 hours is just to get in the game, right? Yeah. Just just to get in the game. And, and, and to your point about not finding our stride, you and I both know the meetings we've had lately, much more meaningful meetings about where the show's going and how sure. to get things better. I mean, I, I really truly do feel like we're, we're just starting out. One thing I want to circle to is this, the show we had last Wednesday, we asked our friends in the Stacking Benjamins basement, our Facebook group, if they had some other ideas when it came to the intersection of good money habits and Black History Month, because we had such a great interview about Black fortunes, about people that were ex-slaves or first-generation Americans who, right after the Civil War, who were our earliest millionaires uh, of color. And we got a few great suggestions for people that want more. Our friend Aaron Painter Baker said, the warmth of other suns, it's about the great migration out of the South and really goes into economic impacts while keeping the focus on individual stories. And for me, OG, it's those individual stories. I feel like our brains are geared for stories, aren't they? Well, that's why those parable books are so popular because because you learn the lesson as the story goes. You can kind of put yourself in the position of you know the hero of the story. Yeah. Kind of follow yeah. along. It's kind of cool. Our friend Shanna Lovelace uh, said, Black Titan, A.G. Gaston, and the Making of a Black American Millionaire. This is a really interesting book. I have to read that one, Shanna. Thanks. Thanks for that. We're going to keep doing this. This will be a regular feature where we ask you to comment on the week's episode. So come join us in the Stacking Benjamins Basement. Stacking, uh, go to Facebook.com, put in Stacking Benjamins Basement. I believe we're going to get admonished now. Bobby Rebel. Just got home, OG, from uh, Florida, and uh, apparently she's not happy. Joe, it's Bobby Rebel. I hope you're doing okay. Um, kind of awkward conversation. And it, look, I love doing money with friends with you. Podcast is great. Can't wait to bring it back after our books come out. And I know the stacker is going to be amazing. But I have something. It's just, Look, it's uncomfortable, but it's important that you know we talk about it. Um, look, your mom's been strict about drinking in her half-finished basement. And, you know, I expected better from you. I just got back from Florida. And when I went to check on the grown-up kitchen, all the booze was missing. And as our listeners know, there was a lot. And the place, of course, is a mess. Now, if this happened in the basement, 
I know your mom would not tolerate it. So, <sighs> Joe, I mean, we've talked about this. You want to be treated like an adult, but apparently you're not mature enough to handle yourself like a grown-up yet. So I guess, well, first of all, it's obviously job security for OG to keep things under control in the basement, but you're going to have to spend more time at your mom's. And I know you're still waiting for the basement to be finished, but I guess it's going to be another thousand episodes. So yeah, congrats on those thousand episodes. Thanks to you and the whole team for keeping us both laughing and learning, Joe. Thank you, Bobby. And I love how she blames me for all the booze being gone. Don't think, uh, don't think that was me. Just looking across the card table here. She treats you like you're a grown up, and and not me. But whatever. I plead the fifth. For the next thousand episodes, OG, what's our goal? It's <sighs> a great question. Uh, you go first. I- I'm like trying to make it. Is that an okay goal? <laughs> Try and just make it through. Is that what you mean? Yeah. 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 Be present. I think uh, my goal is just more surprises. We have a company-wide goal of financial literacy. And even though we mess around, we are very, very serious about financial literacy. And for people that are new to the show, the reason we mess around is because we also strongly feel that people who normally don't like to have these conversations are much more likely to have those deep conversations if uh, if we just have a little fun first. So we're going to keep it light. We're going to have a good time. Probably going to have uh, more people that say if we screwed around less, we'd get further, which we totally disagree with. But to that extent, more of the same, but we'll continue pushing our game and trying to be better at it. As uh, my podcasting mentor, Roman Mars, said, We're kind of embarrassed by the shows we were doing a year ago, and I hope like hell I'm embarrassed by this show a year from now. That is always our goal. Push, push forward. We're going to leave you with two more of our friends who have fantastic messages for us. Uh, Jen Smith has been a friend of the show for a long, long, long time, and it is flattering to know that she uh, patterned her own show by being inspired by us. So uh, I think the more that we try to inspire each other, that's fantastic. And of course, our friend Rocky Lovani. Rocky is was not only a great guest, but is a good friend. I was glad he came to see me when we were in Detroit. So you'll hear Rocky first. And I think we'll end this episode with Jen. So thanks a ton, guys. Here's to a thousand more episodes, OG. Here, here, brother. Dude. Bruh. Brosif. Hey, it's Rocky Lalvani, the Profit Answer Man and past guest of the Stacking Benjamins podcast. Congratulations on hitting episode 1000. Who knew you could get so far? Here's what I'm confused about. Joe's been stacking all these Benjamins. Where's he stacking them? In his mattress? Can he spend a few and get his own place and move out of mom's basement? Take some action, be a man. Hopefully, before we hit 2,000 episodes, Joe will have made that accomplishment a reality. 
Hey guys, it's Jen from the Frugal Friends Podcast. Congrats on a thousand episodes. When we started Frugal Friends, my sole goal was to create a frugality podcast that had the essence of Stacking Benjamins. Because I was like, if a show this bad can be so successful with just two listeners, we can do anything. So thanks for creating Podcast Gold. We have so much love and respect for you guys. Congratulations. All right, Doug, uh, what should we have learned on today's show? Yeah, sure thing, Joe. You know, it's only the thousandth episode. It's not like you would have learned how to do this yourself by now. But yeah, I'll tell everybody what they should have learned today. First, diversification. Even with more aggressive investments, so long as you don't go overboard, they just might calm down the volatility in your portfolio. Second, thinking about heading to a restaurant for Valentine's Day? First off, stay safe. But second, check out all of that innovation under the hood. But the big lesson? We all need to listen more to Doc G. Of all the podcasters who called in, that guy is the only one who knows how the basement really works. Go listen to the Earn and Invest podcast, people. Just, it's absolutely glorious. Truly a work of art. And by the way, Doc, thank you. Sweet job. No, hold on. I'll have your, wait, get your hand out of my pocket, dude. I'll have your 10 bucks as soon as I'm done. I said I'm good for it. No, it, it was really good. Why'd you have to go and ruin it? Big thanks to Dirk Izzo from NCR. Oh my God, Dirk Izzo. Joe, that's like the coolest name we've ever, that's like, he's like a, a bad guy that you love at the, man, that's a cool name. Dirk, sorry, sorry, professional, professional. Okay. Big thanks to Dirk Izzo from NCR for joining us. For more on how NCR can help your organization with touchless experiences, head to ncr.com. Thanks also to David Morgan for joining us. For his newsletter, The Morgan Report, head to themorganreport.com. Or we'll have a link to both of these in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. Yeah, and your, your name's good, too. It, it really is, David. It, it's good. But I mean, it's no Turkizzo. Let's be honest. Also, thanks to all of our friends for helping us make today's show. You'll find a full list of these podcasts on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Except Earn and Invest. Okay, fine. We'll have Earn and Invest, too, but only under protest from me. Lodging that officially. Uh, thanks mostly, though, to you. Thanks for being a part of our little family. Mom's truly grateful, and so are all the rest of us here in the basement. Especially me. Little known fact, I'm really Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and not just Joe changing his voice.
Uh oh. Joe's frozen. I guess I'll be doing the rest of the show myself. Thank you. Thank you very much. Just wrap up the rest of this thing on my own. Wouldn't it be great if Joe was still here? Just waiting on Joe like... Maybe if I use some of my magical powers, I bring to you Joe Salcihide. Maybe something happened to him. Maybe the internet went down at his house. Maybe he said, a thousand episodes, I am out. Or... Maybe it's just a gag on OG. Hello. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD, employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.